Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, and this week I'm continuing my series on fascist betrayers, that is, people who have turned their backs on fascist organizations that they were a part of or involved in. And I'm talking about Matthew Heinbach, who was uh, crowned the Little Führer of the Unite the Right rally era of the alt-right. Heimbach is a little bit of a complicated case. Uh, he did indeed turn his back on fascism, but in a complicated in-and-out kind of way, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Heimbach is now 31 years old and is known primarily as the former leader of the Traditionalist Workers' Party. Heimbach was born in a small town on the edge of the D.C. metro area in Maryland in the early 1990s. He had an early interest in right-wing nationalism and supposed race science. Uh, that's, quote, race science. Uh, he was especially a reader of Jared Taylor, who is a, you know, supposed race scientist. He calls himself, quote, a race realist. Uh, these are the sorts of people who are like, you know, blah, 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 blah. If you look at IQ tests, bullshit like that. You know, these, these are disgusting, terrible people who believe horrible racist things. So Heimbach was enamored of this sort of perspective and continued in that vein as a college student. In college, uh, he attended a state school in Maryland. He majored in history, uh, whoops, um, and founded and was then president of his university's uh, branch of Youth for Western Civilization. And eventually he also joined the White Student Union. Uh, these were both white nationalist organizations uh, operative on college campuses at the time. This is in the early 2010s. He also worked with and for a bunch of other groups, uh, particularly Confederate loyalists in Maryland, despite the fact that, you know, Maryland was always in the Union in the Civil War. Uh, his working with other groups is one of the main hallmarks of Heimbach's career on the right wing. As a student activist, he and the groups that he participated in uh, engaged in graffiti campaigns on campus. Uh, they patrolled their campus to, to like harass black students on campus. They, they used pepper spray in these patrols. Like, and obviously I'm using patrols in the most disgusting possible sense here, where we're talking about a band of white nationalist thugs running around campus assaulting and threatening people. Heimbach invited white nationalist speakers to campus, including the aforementioned Jared Taylor. He also engaged in, like I said, a lot of diplomacy among and between right-wing organizations. And this was an important time in right-wing organizing, the early 2010s. This is when the nucleus of what would eventually become the alt-right was really solidifying. But when he was doing this work in, you know, 2012, 2013, 2014, People didn't really know what the alt-right was. The importance of it coming up on the Trump election hadn't really become obvious. You know, none of this was really clear yet. So he was really on the cutting edge of all of these things. He and his fellow organizer, a guy named Matthew Parrott, who's important and comes up again later, uh, they merged a bunch of groups, uh, but then left them. And this is, again, very typical of Heimbach's organizing pattern. He and Parrott joined the Eastern Orthodox Church, because they thought that it was, you know, the most uh, conservative and, like, oldie-time type religion that they could possibly join. 
He and Parrot, though, were eventually censured by the Orthodox Church, and by eventually, I mean like within a couple weeks of joining, because images surfaced of them beating leftist protesters while holding the Eastern Orthodox Cross, which is a cross with um with three perpendicular arms on the main, you know, the main vertical branch of the cross. Uh, so after those pictures surfaced, Heimbach was kicked out of the Eastern Orthodox Church, and it's at this point in the like 2013, 2014, 2015 era that his most important work as a white nationalist was being done. This is when he and Parrot, his you know collaborator, found the Traditionalist Workers Party. Technically, the TWP, the Traditionalist Workers Party, was a political branch, the political party branch of the Traditionalist Youth Network, which was one of the many white nationalist organizations that they were involved in. This is in keeping in that old fascist style in which, you know, there's a paramilitary group and then it has a political party branch, or there's a party and it has a paramilitary branch. You know, like this is some old time fascist stuff. The TWP was intended to be modeled after the Iron Guard, uh, aka the Legion of the Archangel Michael, which is the primary fascist organization operative in interwar Romania. Uh, so this is from the 1930s to 1941. Um, like the interwar Romanian fascists, Heimbach maintained his Eastern Orthodox faith, despite the fact that, you know, unlike the fascists who actually held power in Romania during this time, uh, Heimbach had, as I said, been censured and uh, expelled from the Eastern Orthodox Church. So the TWP was a, an earnest attempt at a palatable fascist party in the United States much like many other fascist parties, not just in the United States and not just recently, but in history, it appealed to, like it appealed directly to workers and tried to get them to understand their position, not in a class-based way, but rather in a, you know, in this like cultural anti-Semitic way specifically, right? They were operative in the Ohio, Tennessee, Kentucky area, you know, so like Western Appalachia. And members of the TWP ran for local races, you know, mayor, county commissioner, school board, stuff like that. They also endorsed statewide races, especially if they thought that the person who was engaging in that race was like a racist, right? Uh, there was in particular uh, somebody who ran for a state office in Tennessee whose uh, billboards, and this is before Trump, uh, would say like, make America white again, right? Uh, so these are the sort of people that the TWP endorsed. They were open white nationalists and white supremacists. They became increasingly open as 2016 and eventually 2017 unfolded. The TWP was instrumental in the effort to create the consensus on the right wing that would come to be known as the alt-right, which was the primary like formation on the right wing in 2015-2018 era, right? Um, they had small feuds with other right-wing organizers and organizations, particularly the TWP did not get along with Richard Spencer and his particular form of white nationalism, but they did come together because the, the, the modus operandi of the right wing at the time was to like try to create a united right wing out of these disparate small groups, and also to try to rebrand fascism away from neo-Nazism, you know, away from the image of neo-Nazism that everybody had in the 1990s and 1980s. So to rebrand it from this like fringe neo-Nazi, like skinhead type movement into something that 
actually might appeal to a lot of people, people who were socially conservative, but who wanted some sort of safety net stuff, but specifically only for the people who they thought deserved it, which is uh, heterosexual, heteronormative, married, white families, right? That That's who they wanted. So it's coming out of this formation, out of this like attempt to unite the right, that Matthew Heinbach participates in probably the thing that he's the most famous and most important for, the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville in 2017. Now, this rally is extremely famous, and it's been covered to death, um, and I'm not attempting to reproduce the history of that event there. Um, but Heimbach was an important and invited speaker at Unite the Right. He also specifically invited violent neo-Nazis to be like enforcers and to prepare for violence at the right-wing event. Uh, he intended this to, as a big unifying event because that's what his intention was, was to create a big umbrella organization for right-wing white nationalists in the United States. Instead, the terrible media fallout from the Unite the Right rally because of, well, not just because of its violence and because of the murder of Heather Hare at the event, uh, but also just because of the like terrifying images that it produced, you know, the, the Nazi tiki torch rally, for example, uh, it resulted in precisely the opposite of what Unite the Right was supposed to do. It splintered all of these groups again, and a lot of them pretty much died. Uh, a lot of them pretty much failed shortly thereafter, and we'll get back to this. As an aside, Heimbach and the other leaders of the TWP at the time have just now, like in 2021, been found responsible uh, in a civil conspiracy case. That This is a civil case uh, regarding the Unite the Right rally. They've been found responsible for the violence that resulted in injury and death to some of the protesters, some of the leftist protesters. Uh, so Heimbach himself has been found responsible for $500,000 in damages and a million dollars on the part of the Traditionalist Workers Party itself. But so uh, that's that's in the present. Let's go back to 2017. Uh, in 2017, it turned out that, uh, you know, not only was the Unite the Right rally a terrible failure in terms of uniting the right wing, uh, Heimbach was also doing something that would completely destroy the Traditionalist Workers Party from the inside. He was having an abusive affair with the wife of his political partner, Parrot. Um, Parrot and Heimbach's wife find out about this affair. And Heimbach then goes on a violent rampage, uh, choking out Parrot not once, not twice, but three times in one day. Uh, he also physically abuses his now former wife on the day that she found out about this affair. And not just, he didn't just do it, he, he did it in front of their children, their, their two children. The fallout from this essentially made it such that Heimbach could no longer claim to be a socially conservative, pro-family type politician. He was essentially ousted from the Traditionalist Workers' Party after that, which eventually dissolved in the wake of this terrible scandal. Heimbach spends some other time uh, doing right-wing stuff, uh, specifically joined the National Socialist Movement for a bit in, you know, 2018, 2020. Uh, but he was winding down his involvement in the right wing, supposedly. Uh, and this is where he sort of, like, turns his back on the right wing. By 2021, Heimbach is claiming that he has turned his back on white nationalism. He is no longer a fascist. Uh, he says, now I'm a Marxist-Leninist. And he says that he supports Bernie Sanders and he supports uh, things like Medicare for All. He was even billed as a speaker at a Medicare for All rally in Indiana. Uh, the organizers of the event had to cancel it because people were like, 
hey, that's um, that's like a fascist. You, you can't have fascists speaking at our Medicare for All rally. Well, we're, we're not going to do it. You know, we wouldn't come. Um, so Heimbach is now saying that he's a Marxist-Leninist. He's saying that he's a leftist. He participates in an organization that is like billing itself as a like a place for rehabilitated former extremists to go, you know, a, a place where they can like uh, talk about their extremist experiences and where they can de-radicalize other people. In reality, of course, this organization, which I'm not naming uh, because it's a front, is a front. Uh, its purpose is to allow white nationalists to say, hey, I'm no longer a white nationalist. I just believe in, you know, the idea that the deserving people in the United States should take control of the country and kill those that they disagree with. And that, you know, as so happens, those deserving people, in their opinion, happen to be heterosexual, normative, white families. And that is what Heimbach believes. He's still an anti-Semite. He's still a racist. He is still a fascist. He's just a particular type of fascist. Uh, it's called a Strasserist fascist. Uh, this was a sort of like, you know, pseudo left wing of the Nazi party during, well, before World War II. It was, it was uh, during the rise of the Nazi party. Um, so nowadays, Heimbach is pretending to not be a fascist anymore, except that, of course, now, uh, like like very recently, he's been like, well, you know, actually, I'm going to restart the Traditionalist Workers' Party just as this sort of like left fascist organization. And that is the story of Matthew Heimbach, uh, the person who attempted to unite the right and instead was actually very important to its dissolution, uh, like the dissolution of the alt-right and the emergence of this new formation of the right wing, uh, probably led by Nick Fuentes, the Groyper movement. All right. That was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. If you really enjoyed the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out and all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail at gm, you know, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right, that's H-I-S-T of the right, and fascism15, and again, that's 15 spelled out in all one word. Next week, I will be continuing this little mini-series on people who turned their backs on fascism, people who, you know, betrayed their supposed fascist comrades. If you have a movement or fascist, you know, betrayer who you're particularly interested in hearing about, let me know. Uh, I am excited to get some uh, suggestions and references from folks. Great. Thanks very much, and I'll talk to you next week.